good morning. Hey, uh, I am thrilled to be back at Gold Lake. It is such a privilege uh, to be back with you. As Tim said, my uh, wife Angie is uh, with me this week. Our daughter Sylvia, our two older kids, had things going on. They uh, sad they couldn't be here uh, with us this week. I am privileged to be pastor of the Life Point Church. I just wanted to say it. Just wanted to be like the counselors. Uh, if you run into folks from uh, life points of them are great folks. A couple of them are weird, but you'll get through. You'll probably get the good ones. Um, but we are thrilled that you're here. Uh, one of the things for uh, me coming to Go Lake, uh, like Tim said, is I think this is our fifth year to be here, third time uh, to be privileged to be here to share God's word with you. But um, is that every year you come, you see people maybe that you haven't seen for a year and you see their kids and their kids like grow a foot, right? Every year and they look so much taller. And it's, it's a reminder that we're all, you know, one year older, right? Every time you come. And, but which is not a big deal because we've all been celebrating that this week with the Face app, right? You notice that on Facebook? Like everybody's putting up pictures and I kind of thought, you know, well, we should probably should join in or something. So I'm going to put Angie's Face app up here. I'm kidding. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I don't want to sleep on the Go Lake Beach all week, right? I don't want to do that. Um, however, interesting note about the Face app uh, this week. So my brother-in-law, Phil, um, he was going to put a picture of his dad, Vince. Now, Vince is not my uncle. I call him Uncle Vince. But he was going to put a picture of him up on the Face app. So he found a picture of uh, Uncle Vince whenever he was young. And I'll show you that picture uh, up here. That's Uncle Vince a long, long time ago, whenever he was young. Well, Phil's son, which would, Vince would be his grandfather, saw the picture and he's like, oh my goodness, my grandfather is Channing Tatum. So he put the pictures up beside each other. That's pretty good, isn't it? Isn't it? So I thought that maybe I would bring a picture of Uncle Vince today, but I thought maybe that'd be a little bit, that'd be a little bit critical, right, of Uncle Vince. Let's just say if you want a Channing Tatum poster, you buy it today. Buy it today before, before, before he goes all along because we kind of know what he's going to look like, right? Whenever he gets to the end of his time. We are going to look at Galatians uh, chapters 1 through 3 uh, in our time together during the teaching. And we'll start uh, this morning. The central verse in Galatians is Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. For some of you, um, this will be um, a verse that you've heard a number of times. And for some of you here today, maybe this will be the first time uh, that you've heard this verse. Uh, one of the great verses in the New Testament is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'll read it to you. It says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're going to have a big idea that we talk about um, every day for every message. We're going to kind of work our way through this idea, Galatians chapters 1 through 3. The big idea, it's really three parts to it, right? It's this, I died, God gave, Christ lives. If I could summarize Galatians 2.20 for you, that's how I'd summarize it. I died, God gave, Christ lives, okay? So we're all going to say it together. I'll say a part, then you say a part, all right? We'll work it back and forth. I died, God gave, Christ lives. Now let's say it like you're alive, okay? Let's try it again. I died, hey, God gave, Christ lives. 
So what we're going to talk about this morning is the first part of that. We're going to talk about this reality that we died when it comes to the gospel. And that's really the focus of Galatians chapters uh, 1, 2, and 3 is Paul is going to lay out what I would call the gospel truth. And the first part of the gospel is that I must die. In other words, what we do with someone whenever they pass away in this world, right? We take them, we put them in a casket, we put them in the ground, and we bury them. And our old self has got to go through that same experience. If you are going to come to Christ, if you're going to come to God through the gospel, the old you has to die and be buried. And you have to be alive to a brand new identity. So this reality is for, um, for the gospel to work and function in our lives, we start with this idea that we are, are dead. We are dead to our old selves. So when we say, uh, I'm, I'm throwing out that term gospel, here's how we say it at our church uh, there on the north side of Columbus. The gospel means that I am undeniably flawed. That's the I die part, right? That um, I am so sinful that you are so sinful. The um, early church fathers came up, you got into the Reformation kind of years, 1500s. They called it depravity. What that means is that everything inside of you and me is given towards selfishness and sin and doing things the way that we want to do things. That part of us in the context of the gospel, that's what has to die. I am so undeniably flawed think about this, that God had to leave heaven to come and die for me. You are that flawed. You are that thoroughly sinful that, because I'm thinking about like, think about in uh, eternity past, like when they were talking about, they had this big meeting, maybe, I don't know about how are we going to solve the sin problem. I'm sure on the list of ways to solve the sin problem, God leaving heaven and coming to earth and dying was like the nuclear option, right? Like there had to be better options to deal with sin, right? Than God coming to die. But our sin is so bad. It is so awful. Deplorable, heinous, you make up the word, whatever you want to use, that God has to come and he has to die. Now, when we talk about the Galatians, as Paul tries to communicate this idea to them, um, who are they? Where is Galatia? Galatia is a region, not necessarily a city, but it's a region. And so Paul would have written this letter to them. It would have been circulated around to the churches uh, of Galatia uh, there in what today is modern day Turkey. Now, who's Paul? Why should I listen to Paul? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you are going to love Paul. Paul has this terrible, awful past. Paul has committed some of the sins. If we're going to rank them, right, he's got a bunch of them up here at the top of the list. Not only that, Paul gets kind of confused by Christianity sometimes. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 7, Paul says, the things that I want to do are not the things that I do. And the things I don't want to do end up being the things that I do. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Anybody ever feel like that? Anybody ever feel like, man, I do everything backwards, it seems like, when it comes to God. I feel like I do everything wrong, and you feel like it, and you see it, sense it all the time. Your sin, you feel like, man, there can't be anybody worse than me. Paul is your guy. You will love what Paul has to say about the gospel. In chapter 1, he sends this message, that there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel for everyone. 
Now that's going to be a little bit controversial. So here's how he says it. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. You got a copy of the scriptures. Feel free to turn over there. Paul says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So three ideas this morning. I'll give you three ideas about this gospel truth. First one is that critics can't distort it. When, um, when Paul says, hey, um, listen, there's some out there who want to distort the gospel. Critics, they can't reverse it. That's what that word distort means in, uh, in, in the original language. It means to reverse it. So Paul says there are some people who are going to try and reverse the gospel. Now, how can you do that? How could you try and do that? Well, one way you could do that is to say, you know what? You're not really that bad. Like, really, you're pretty good. I'm pretty good. Everybody is kind of okay. But that flies in the face of what I said just a second ago, that we are so sinful that God had to leave heaven and the person of Jesus Christ had to come down to earth. And we are so sinful that God had to die for us. But at the same time, the good news of the gospel is what? That we are so loved that God wanted to die for us. Did you hear what we sang earlier? Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me savior or I die. Listen, we come to Christ in the sinful state that we are, but the good news of the gospel is that we come to a fountain that washes us clean from our sins and outside of him, we have no hope. Wash me savior or I die. I have absolutely no hope. You're so flawed, undeniably flawed, so sinful that God had to die for you. But you are so loved that he wanted to die for you. Now, that brings up another idea that is very current that Paul had to deal with and that we have to deal with. It, it, maybe no more book in the new, may, no other book in the New Testament is as current in my mind as Galatians. Because there's this idea out there that, you know what, Dean, you really can't say that we're all flawed and that we all need Christ because different people believe different things and everybody has a right to their own beliefs. It's a very current idea. And I would say that's kind of true. Everyone has the right to their own beliefs, but that doesn't make everyone's beliefs right. Paul says there's one gospel for everyone, and that gets him in trouble, a lot of trouble. And in Galatia, there was a group of people, his critics, a group of people called the Judaizers. We're going to talk about them a lot this week. So say that with me on three. Ready? One, two, three. The Judaizers. They were a group of people that believed that you could sync up Christianity with Hebrew religion. And so what would happen is Paul would go to a city, Paul would preach the gospel. People would hear it for the first time and they would hear about grace and they would hear that they couldn't earn it, but that they didn't have to earn it. And man, they'd be amazed. And as soon as Paul would leave, these, these Judaizers, these critics of the gospel, these people that wanted to reverse the gospel, that wanted to distort it would come in and they would say, you know what? You heard what Paul taught, that's great. Um, you can believe in, in Jesus and Christianity as long as you keep these Jewish rules. Now. 
You can have the gospel, like Paul said, but to maintain the gospel, to keep it, you've got to follow this Hebrew rule and this Hebrew rule and this Hebrew rule. And basically what they had done is they had turned the message of grace into a religion. And I want to tell you, those two things are diametrically opposed to each other, right? On the one hand, you say, listen, um, I'm going to live a moral life because Christ died for me. Or you're going to say, I deserve a good life and God owes me because I'm a good person. Those two things are absolutely opposite and different. You say, listen, I'm, I've done really good things. And you compare yourself to other people and you say, because I've lived a moral life, God owes me a good life. Or you say, because God died for, God died for me, I am going to turn around and I'm going to live the kind of life that pleases him. There is no mixture of those two things. And Paul would say his critics cannot reverse the gospel. It's the first idea. Second idea comes up in verse 8. It says uh, this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him, uh, let him be accursed. First idea, critics can't reverse it. Second idea, angels can't adjust it. Now, when you read through Galatians, and I hope that you do uh, this week, you're going to say things like, well, Dean, how does this really apply to me? Like, how often does somebody... Um, say an angel came down from heaven and preached to them a different gospel. More often than you might think, actually. And um, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about that tomorrow. But what I will say is that if there's something uh, that we seem to be given to um, when it comes to uh, Christianity, our relation with God, religion, whatever terms you want to apply to it, that we are not only given to things that are religious, but we are also given to things that are miraculous. We are drawn, it seems, to both of those. We are drawn to the religious in that we want a plan that we can go and do this and this and this and this. And by doing these steps in religion that earns a certain amount of favor from God, we're drawn to the religious, but then we're also drawn to the miraculous, an angel coming down. We're drawn to the religious, that's kind of us working our way up. We're also drawn to the miraculous, that's God Angels, right, coming down, doing incredible, amazing things. I, you saw it um, both. I saw them about five years or so ago in our, in our culture. Um, so there was a, a Paramount Pictures, I think about five years or so ago, released a brand new uh, movie. Uh, it was called Noah. Um, it was, uh, starred Russell Crowe. And, um, and they were going to tell the biblical narrative and the biblical story, right, of Noah. Now, the director's stated goal right? Publicly stated goal was he wanted to make the least biblical film ever released. And man, did he make his goal. He did a great job, right, of that. And I remember people coming to me saying, should I go see it? Should we not? Should we not go? See it? And I would say, what are your expectations? Think about it for a minute. What are your expectations? Do you expect somebody who is not a Christian who is not a believer to correctly interpret a biblical narrative 
correctly apply it and show you this, is that, are those, if those are your expectations, you're gonna be really, really frustrated. I remember when they released the film, I don't know if you remember this or even heard this, but when they released the film, they released it in Exeter, England. They wanted to do kind of this uh, artsy, small release uh, over in the UK. And so they released the film uh, there in Exeter and the night of the release, everybody's coming in and there was this huge rainstorm. Uh, the uh, theater was really, really old. And so they get everybody in the theater and all of a sudden the theater floods. Movie about Noah, you got a flood, it's kind of... So the manager comes in, they don't know what to do. I mean, obviously they have to cancel everything, shut it down, they're worried about electricity. And so the manager was nervous about releasing people from the theater. And so, you know, they thought, man, if somebody slips and falls, there's liability there. Or they also thought somebody slips, falls, passes out, they could drown. And so like, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna let people go one at a time, but not even just one at a time. You know how they release people? Two by two. Isn't that awesome? You can't make that up, right? Isn't that great? So I, I just said, what are your expectations? Do you expect? And, and so there was, you know, as Christians, sometimes, um, sometimes we just lose our minds, right? People were getting on social media and they were criticizing this and that and that. And, I, and it, listen, it's fine for us to, um, to judge things in terms of uh, uh, biblical veracity. But remember, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those things should guide our public interactions, especially on social media, especially when we enter into political conversations. I got two amens about that. That's great. Two, for the rest of us, we really need to work, right? As we talk to people, we should represent Christ, right? And his heart, well, so on the one hand, you've got that we struggle with. At the same time, there was another movie that was released at the same time. And it was a story of a, a, a little fellow. He's four years old. His name was Colton Burpo. The movie was called Heaven is for Real. And whenever he had, um, I think it was, he had a ruptured appendix and he had surgery. And evidently he coded whenever he had surgery. And so the movie was about, he said that he went to heaven, I think for about three or four minutes or something like that. And he came back and he was telling his story. And I think as difficult as it is to say, I don't know if what the little guy says is right or not, because you feel, I, I would just say the only struggle with that, right, is, is the scriptures. So let me, let me just read you, um, let me read you a couple of, of verses. Proverbs chapter 30, verse four says this, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Now, the idea, if you read the context of the psalm, is nobody. No, nobody's done that. Or um, John 3, 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So, now, do I know what happened with that little four-year-old guy? No. I know there are four people in the scriptures who were given a vision of heaven. None of them said they went to heaven and came, and came back. So, I don't know. I don't know what happened with him, but I do know this. We are always amazed by the miraculous. We, we are so drawn to the miraculous. And listen, I want you to know, I believe in miracles. Big God, sovereign God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. But I also believe that God's consistent with truth. Revealed truth, right, 
in his word. But I know for us, we are drawn to the religious and we are drawn to the miraculous. What do we need to be drawn to? For I have been crucified with Christ, yet no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. I'm putting the old me to death constantly, consistently, day after day after day. I'm submitting that old me so that Christ can live through me. Not so much about religion, not so much about doing everything right and lining up all of my obedience, not so much about looking for miracles around every corner. Although when God does them, it's great. Be grateful for them, be grateful for those, for those moments. It's all, this theme is throughout scripture. I was, um, I was doing my devotional time uh, this morning and I'm going through uh, Luke uh, chapter 10. And this is when Jesus uh, when he sent out the 70, right, sent them out two by two, and they went out into the villages, and he gave them the power and authority uh, over serpents and scorpions. And um, here's, here's the summary of that from, from the message. Here's, what it, here's how Eugene Peterson puts it. All the same, this is Jesus speaking, all the same, the great triumph is not your authority over evil. In other words, Jesus is saying the great triumph, the big deal about this is like not that I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. The great triumph is not that you had the power to walk on uh, serpents and scorpions. He says the great triumph is not your authority over evil, but in God's authority over you and his presence with you. Not what you do for God. That's religion, right? Not what you do for God, but what God does for you. That is the agenda for rejoicing. It's throughout Scripture, the battle that we are going to fight to kill ourselves. I died to get rid of that old man. And we're always going to be drawn to the religious, and we're always going to be drawn to the miraculous. Luke chapter 16, right? You got the rich man and Lazarus. You know that narrative, that story, right? So at the end of the story, what do you see? You see the, the uh, Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. Lazarus was the poor man. He's in Abraham's bosom in heaven. The rich man separated from heaven in hell. And in the narrative, it says that somehow the rich man can communicate with Abraham and with Lazarus. And what does the rich man say? He's like, you've got to send Lazarus. You've got to send the poor Lazarus. You've got to send him back to my brothers and my sisters and tell them, tell them to repent, right? They've got to change because I don't want them to come here. I don't want them to be where I am. And what's Abraham's response? They have Moses and the prophets. Now, what's he saying? Think about it. He's saying, listen, you've got to send Lazarus back because he's saying, if you send somebody back from the dead, they are going to listen. They are going to believe. If they see a miracle, they'll listen. They'll hear the gospel and they'll believe. And what does Abraham say? They have Moses and they've got the prophets. It's the Old Testament, right? The word of God. They've got the word of God. In other words, what? They don't need a miracle. They just need God's word. And isn't it interesting that when you read John chapter 12, what happens a couple of weeks later? 
A guy named Lazarus dies. Jesus' friend in Bethany, and he's put in the grave. Jesus comes along, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. There's a miracle. Did everybody believe? No, no, no. At the end of that narrative, it says, and they then decided what? How they might put him, Jesus. How they might put him to death. We don't need miracles. And we don't need, neither one of those things are going to heal us. What's going to do it? One more, one more idea uh, about the gospel. Uh, chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not uh, be uh, a servant of Christ. So the third idea is that uh, we can't judge it. By we, I mean we Christians cannot judge it. Paul says, listen, am I trying to seek the approval of men or of Christ? Now, for some of us in the room, this is a big time struggle. That we have the tendency to look to others to tell us that we are okay. For all of us in the room, however, we will look to someone or something to tell us that we are all right, that we are okay. What do, you, what do you mean? Some of us never look past our parents to tell us that we're okay. Some of us um, will look to um, a teacher or to a coach or to a friend. Uh, some of us will look to uh, boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, some of us will look to Instagram and how many likes we get on our pictures, uh, the ones of ourselves, for, to make sure that we are okay, that everybody else, so if everybody else is okay with me, I'm okay with me. What's the flaw in that? There are going to be times in your life when everybody's not okay with you. How do you know in those moments if you're okay? Paul says what you're doing is you're seeking the approval of men instead of the approval of Christ. Now, I want to be clear that it, that is not a license to go out and say what you want, whenever you want, however you want. We need to live in biblical community and allow other people to reflect on our lives. But what Paul is saying is, who is the priority? Who do you run to, to know that you're okay? Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, struggled with this same thing. We're going through Proverbs and, and our church uh, right now. Proverbs 29, 25, Solomon says this, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So I said all that this morning to say this to you. In chapter one of Galatians, at the beginning of the book, Paul is saying that the gospel not only saves us, it also heals us. The gospel is not just this reality that at somewhere, in some way, at some point in time, you walked an aisle in a church. You asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you did that at a, a church camp in the summertime. Maybe there was a moment when some, you prayed with somebody for you to come to Christ and that you experienced the gospel at a point in time and from there, you just kind of go figure it all out. That's not, the, that's not the gospel. The gospel not only saves us, 
But the wonderful thing about the gospel is that it also heals us. And it will continue to heal you spiritually throughout your life. You just have to keep going back to it and applying it. You say, how does that work? Um, pick a topic. Um, self-hate. There are a lot of people who look at themselves, look at their own lives, and they just feel inferior all the time. And they think other people see them through that same lens. They don't feel like they're ever worthy enough. They don't feel like they're ever good enough. They don't feel like they ever measure uh, up enough. And sometimes self-hate leads to things like self-harm, right? There's a, a whole genre right now, a whole world of counseling going on trying to help people who are dealing with cutting and self-harm and other things. All that comes from this whole idea of self-hate. The gospel is the foundation of solving that problem. I'm not saying that the gospel is the only thing. You just say the words and you need and then that's over. I understand counseling. I understand all of that is important and part of the process. But the gospel is the foundation of it. Listen, how can you hate yourself? God left heaven in the person of Christ and came and died for you. Don't you understand the immense value that places on your soul? How can you hate yourself? What's the opposite of self-hate? Self-love, right? It's narcissism. It's that you think that you are better than everybody else. How can you love yourself to that degree? You are so thoroughly sinful that God had to leave heaven in the person of Jesus Christ and die for you. How could you, how could you love yourself? See how the gospel puts us in proper perspective? Think about fear. Some people struggle with fear and worry to the degree that it just, it just paralyzes them. How do you deal with that? How do you heal from that? You go back to the gospel. Listen, if God is willing to send his one and only son to come and die for you, be tortured on a cross for you, will he ever leave you? No matter what the situation, no matter what the scenario, will you ever be alone? You don't have to live in fear. What's the opposite of that? Anger. And I'm not talking about get upset every now and then. I'm talking about there are people who live with rage. We call them rageaholics, right? It's a significant issue in our culture. How does somebody get healed from that? Listen, here's Jesus on the cross. The wrath, the anger of God against sin is poured out on Christ, on the cross. So when you come and you consistently see Jesus taking the anger of God in your place, how can you live in anger? Do you see how that just, that just busts up your soul? Temptation, temptation just killing you? What do you do? You come back to the gospel and you see that we have a savior, the scriptures say that is tempted in every way, just like we are. In every way that you and I know temptation he lived here in a human body, in human form, and he understands and he knows what it's like. The gospel not only saves us, it heals us. And listen, our forefathers knew this. You sang this this morning. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. It's the next line, first verse. Be of sin my Double cure. 
Not single cure, not point of time, salvation, experience the gospel, then go live life however I want to, figure it out, try to make the best of it. Be of sin my double cure, save from wrath. That's part one, save from wrath and what? Make me pure. The work of the gospel, Paul is gonna say, there's only one gospel for everyone and it will work in your life to the degree that you and I go back to it over and over and over again and it will clean you foul, foul. I fly to the fountain. Wash me, Savior, or I die. He is the only hope that we have. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. We see you throughout the scriptures, throughout the songs that we sing, being Savior to us. And God, I pray for anybody who's here this morning, maybe who does not have that personal relationship with you. Maybe they come from a great family. Um, maybe... Um, Maybe, God, they've heard a lot of, of spiritual, biblical truth. But, God, maybe for them this morning, this is the moment where they want to give themselves to this gospel, this one gospel for everyone. And we're just going to continue to pray right now, and folks aren't looking around. Real personal time between people and God. But that's you. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, but you want to take that step this morning and give your life to Christ, I'm going to pray up here. And you can pray with me right there um, in your seat. Um, you don't have to say the words exactly like I say them. It's not a magic formula. But you're saying you want to give all that you know of you to all you know of Christ and let him be the authority in your life. If you want to do something like that uh, this morning, if you want to take that step, just pray something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for going to the cross in my place. And Jesus, thank you for substituting yourself for my sins. I'm going to ask you, Jesus, this morning to please forgive my sins and to make my heart clean and new. And Jesus, as much as I know this morning, I'm giving everything I know of me to everything I know of you. I want you to be my leader, my Lord, my Savior. Thank you for this great salvation. And again, we're just going to stay in that attitude of prayer. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you took that step this morning of following Christ, I'm gonna ask you to allow me to be the first person that you tell that you've done that here in just a second by raising your hand. And listen, I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna make you give a speech or say anything. But just as kind of a way to seal it up on the inside of you. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's gonna point at you. But just as a way to say, this was my day. I trusted Christ today. Would you just let me know that just by slipping your hand up right now? Just raise it up and say, yeah, thanks. I just put them up and take them right back down. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Say, this was my moment today. Yeah, I see you there in the back. It's great.
God, I pray that um, you are pleased this morning, that our worship rises to you as a fragrant aroma. That, Lord, you are, um, that as you, God, see our worship this morning as frail uh, humans as we are, as imperfect as we may be, that, God, um, that you would be in all of your glory, that, Lord, your heart would be encouraged this morning by what you see in us. It's in your name we pray.